Nehemiah, 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 the short, one of the shortest guys in the Bible. Nehemiah, okay. Where's he? What's who's the next next short guy in the Bible? Zacchaeus? No, Bildad the Shuhite. Come on. <laughs> All right, Nehemiah chapter two. <laughs> you just got it. <laughs> Thank you, Father. Lord, uh, Mary Hart, Lord, does good like a medicine, Lord. Lord, you're a joyful, wonderful, loving God, Lord. Even the scripture tells us that you twirl around your throne. What a, what a magnificent sight that we see a, our God is a joyful, wonderful, loving, and outgoing. And Lord, I just pray that tonight that we could be joyful, outgoing, and allow you, Lord, to reach in and touch our hearts, Lord. We ask that you take this time in your word and just bless it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we've been in Nehemiah, and uh, so far we've learned this about Nehemiah, that he was one of the cupbearers to King Artaxerxes. Um, he had received word from his brother that Jerusalem lay in waste. The temple was torn down. Uh, he couldn't do anything. So he was in a place where uh, all he could do was begin to fast and to pray. And he, he basically goes to God and he prays three things. He prays for the people there in Jerusalem because they were suffering. He prays for Jerusalem itself. And then he prays for favor with the king because he had, a, he had something on his heart that he wanted to accomplish. So God answers his prayer when the king, uh, Artaxerxes, comes back as he's on his way from Shushan to the palace there in Babylon. And when he meets up with Nehemiah, Nehemiah had never been, uh, he'd never been a bummer before. He'd never had a sad face or anything. So when the king comes in, Nehemiah's pretty upset. He's, he's really down concerning the things that have been taking place back in his uh, in his home country. Now, uh, as I was reading it concerning this, at this time, Nehemiah had never been to Jerusalem. He'd never seen it. But his heart was broken for something that he had never seen. And so that's kind of uh, that walking by faith and not by sight, you know. And so here's Nehemiah. And so he tells the king the whole story, how the, the, the uh, word that came to him that the city was destroyed, the walls were destroyed, the temple was destroyed, and his father's tombs were being desecrated. And so God answers Nehemiah here in chapter 2, verse 6, with a response through the king of the answer to the prayer. And verse 6, it says, Then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, How long will your journey be? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river that they, mu that they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he must give me timber to build the beams or build, make beams for the gates of the citadel which per pertains to the temple, for the city wall, and for the house that I will occupy. And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Great 
ending to that prayer and that word. I want to point out something, though, that these verses coincide with Daniel chapter 9. And in Daniel chapter 9, when Daniel's speaking, he says, From the going forth to the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem till the coming of the Messiah, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. In other words, 483 years, okay? We know that the command to go and rebuild went out on March 14th, 440. We're pretty precise here, but we have record and we have documentation of this exact date. The command to go and restore and rebuild came on March 14th, 445 B.C. And this is one of the most important dates recorded in history. So you want to take note of it. This is one of the most important dates because 483 years later, on April 6, 32 A.D., April 6, 32 A.D., does any know, uh, know what happened on that date? Jesus rode into Jerusalem on that very date prophesied by Daniel. Pretty cool, huh? Pretty cool. So... These are, these are Babylonian days and years of their calendar. They're not Julian 365, but they're 360. But uh, recorded back according to the Babylonian calendar, Jesus came in on the very day prophesied by Daniel. So back to our text. Um, it says here that the queen also sitting beside him. Well, uh, very possibly many believe this was Esther. Queen Esther was there. So, and many believe that Esther was the one who influenced uh, Nehemiah's uh, appointment to be a cupbearer. So, uh, so she was sitting there beside him. So after he presents his request to the king, the king asks, well, how long are you going to be gone? And we don't really know how long he was gone, but we do know that it pleased the king. Whatever it was, there was an agreement. So they said, okay. Now, another thing, too, uh, Ezra, and if you haven't read uh, the book of Ezra, need to read the book of Ezra alongside with Nehemiah because of the fact that in this, that uh, Ezra said that this would take place during this time of rebuilding during troublesome times, just like Daniel's prophecy. Daniel's prophecy says the same thing. And so men uh, at that time had been hassling them in the rebuilding of the uh, of the walls and what they were doing is they were sending objectionable letters to the king. And in these letters, they were saying this was a rebellious city. Don't allow it to happen. And so they were very uh, uh, detrimental in that respect to the building of Jerusalem. So Nehemiah asked the king to write a letter so that he could give it to the governors, that he could give it to uh, uh, Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest. So that he could rebuild and restore the temple and the gates and so on. So the king writes the letter. And this is a countermand because before it was like on and off again. Well, now the king has put out the letter. And it says, according to the good hand of my God upon me. What's he do is he looks back and he says, you know what? All this is about God. God did this. I didn't have anything to do it. So just because, and I want to point out, just because you may have permission from the king, it doesn't mean that it's going to be smooth sailing, you know. We have a letter from the king of kings, don't we? But don't be surprised if there's objections 
to what you do for the glory and the kingdom of God. Don't be surprised, because the enemy would like to do that. Then verse 9 says, Then I went to the governors in the region beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. When Sanballat the Heronite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. So I came to Jerusalem and I was there three days. Then I arose in the night and I and a few men with me, I told no one what, God, what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. So he's just saying, I didn't tell anybody what I was going to be doing, that I'm here for a purpose. So I didn't really reveal all that. Nor was there any animal with me except the one uh, which I rode. Uh, we don't know if it was a horse or a donkey. I'm going to say it's a donkey. So if you find out it's a horse, let me know. And I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent well and the refuse gate and viewed the wall of Jerusalem, which were broken down and the gates which were burned with fire. So the place is in total destruction. It's a, it's a mess. So he's armed with a letter and he's armed with an armed escort. He goes straight to the governors. I love this about this guy. He goes right to the governors. He goes right to the guys who are causing all the problems. And he gives them a copy of the letter. After they read it, they get real upset because they thought they had a corner on everything. I want to tell you that whenever God begins to build and restore, don't be surprised if the enemy rises up and begins to bring unrest during a time of reconstruction. I don't know if you've ever experienced that in ministry, but I have. And it does. Whenever whenever you do something, especially if it needs to be rebuilt restored Uh, the holy spirit's the one who's doing it he's the one who's building and the enemy doesn't want that he doesn't want to have the restoration he doesn't want you to be blessed he doesn't want you to hear from god and so he's going to do his best to disrupt that so he's made the the 500 mile journey they get to jerusalem they stop and they rest for three days and then, in the, in, and then one night he gets up and he grabs some guys and they go on it to survey the city. They go inside and they look around and he doesn't tell the guys what's on his heart. He doesn't tell them why and what he's doing. But as they get there and they get inside the city, it was overwhelming to see the destruction of what had taken place there in the city. It was a dark time. It was a time uh, uh, that, you know, hope was gone. It was a, it was a, it was a feeling of defeat. But it's in this time when it seems as it's the darkest that God's about ready to turn on the light. He's preparing the breaking up, the, as Jeremiah says, breaking up the fallowed ground. He's breaking up an area that needs to be broken up. And he's preparing us for that. So Nehemiah, he rode out, he checked out the damage of the walls and the gates. The three gates that were destroyed were the valley, the serpent, and the refuse gates. So he's down by... The, the springs of Gihon right now, and he describes the condition there at that gate. Then I went down to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, Gihon Springs, but there was no room for the animal under me to pass. So I went up in the night by, valley, by the valley, that's, uh, many believe it's the Kidron Valley, which I believe it is, and viewed the wall. Then I turned back and entered by the valley gate. That would more than likely be the eastern gate. And so I returned. 
And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the others who did the work. Then I said to them, you see the distress that we are in. It's important. Acknowledge, you know, we're in trouble. The, how Jerusalem lays waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. This is a, this is a call for renewal. This is a call for the, the, the people of Israel to get together and do this for the sake of the glory of God. So we'll no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also the king's words. These two things are very important. The hand of God being upon and then also the official that gives the authority there here on this earth, that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. You know what? I, I think that's good for us to say. Let us rise up and build. Rise up and build. Yeah, praise God. That's it. Then they set their hands to this good work. So they're right, as they rode in, they're from the Gihon Springs down to the King's Pool. Uh, there's so much rubble that the donkey couldn't even get through it. Now donkeys, if you know donkeys, they're pretty sure-footed animals. They can pretty much go anywhere. Well, this, this one here was so much rubble that he couldn't even make it through. So after he's there and he returns, he didn't tell anybody about the, the extensive damage that had taken place there, all the rubble that was, he didn't tell the priests, the nobles, and any of the other ones who are part of the rebuilding. And, and I got to ask a question. I thought to myself, well, why, why didn't he tell them? I believe, doesn't say it, but I believe he didn't want it to be a discouragement to him. He didn't want them to see how bad it really was. You ever been there? You ever had that? Sometimes I hold things back because I don't want to say how bad it really is because you, you want to have, uh, give the, the, the opportunity for hope to arise in hearts. Sometimes you don't want to talk about how bad it really is. Jerusalem was in ruins and he says the reproach is on us all. And so he assures them that the good hand of my God is upon me. God's hand is on me. And it was God's good hand by the, that he had on him that he got permission from the king to build and restore. I, I want to give you a backdrop here. Uh, before Nehemiah, he got there, Ye, um, uh, Yeshua and Zerubbabel were there and they had already begun the rebuilding process. When they had been hindered by these other letters that were sent to the king, and the king says, stop it, because they had heard, hey, this is a rebellious city. Uh, in the past, don't, don't let anything go on here. And so the king goes, oh, okay. So he sends his letter. So it ends up turning around. Now, Nehemiah, he goes to the king. He, he gets the letter, and he counters these other guys' letter. So now it's back on. The building should begin again the, that, that the king gave the letter. So the question is that I have here, why was Jerusalem destroyed in the first place? Why was it destroyed? Well, it was destroyed because they had forsaken true worship. They had been bringing idolatry into the very temple that was set apart and called by God's name that he says, I'll set my name 
in this place and they were bringing in pagan idolatry into their into the worship john 4:24 says god is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth we need to check our hearts you know when it comes to worship god is god of of truth he's the god that wants the truth where is your heart Check your heart. Uh, Paul says to us in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, and it's not on the slides yet, but it says to examine our hearts, that we're, see if we're in the way, lest we be disqualified. What's in your heart? Why are you worshiping? Is your heart broken because of your sin? Is your heart broken because of things that are not right? Are you brokenhearted? Nehemiah is brokenhearted. Make sure that what we're doing is worship that we're just we're not going through the motions that it's not just a uh, okay well we're in church and this is what we do and you know that can happen can it and i'm guilty i I, you know i have get in go through the motions this and that rise up stand down certain churches you know you rise up you sit down rise up sit down clap 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 raise 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 used to do that in kids church you know praise him praise him you know stuff like that Well, the church can end up being like that. God wants us to examine our hearts. He's examining our hearts. He's looking. And if there's any wicked way in us, David says, he says, try me, O God. Try my heart. Am I worshiping right? The Greek for there, and you've heard me say this, is proskuneo. And proskuneo is a very important word because it's a word of humility. It means to kneel and to kiss the feet. Are you kneeling? Are you kissing the feet? Is it that place that you're willing to be humble enough to bow down? Maybe you're not worshiping the way you used to. I'm just saying this because, you know, I have to examine my heart too. Maybe some sin has broken down the fortress where true worship used to take place. Do you know that your heart is, a, is the temple of the living God? It's a fortress. It's to be a fortress. When you go, if you go to Jerusalem and you go up there on the Temple Mount where the temple used to, to stand, it is amazing to see the magnificence of even just the area of where this temple was. And you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Maybe some sin has broken down that fortress. Whatever affection has come, it causes our hearts to not be in the fortress. We're in the, that's a fortress. Our God is a mighty fortress. Well, the mighty fortress begins in worship, an acknowledgement of who he is and who we are. I'm a sinner. I deserve nothing. But he's gracious, slow to anger, merciful. This is our God. He's the one who says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly in heart. Our God is a wonderful, humbling God. But if there's something in our hearts, if he's allowed himself to be broken to that extent, what should I do? What should I do? I want to come into the living presence of the living God. I want to come in and worship. I want to be able to hear him when I, you know, you have to hear him. 
have ears to hear what the Spirit of God says to the church. I have to have ears. I want to have ears. And I know He wants all of us to have ears to hear what He has to say. See, God's calling. If it's you, He's calling you to return. He's calling you to return to that place of true worship where He is the center of your affection. Don't let what happened to them and the priests and idolatry to come into your heart and take you away from the true and living worship of the living God. Check your heart. I'm, ca- I'm calling on me too. Check my heart, oh God. It's a dangerous thing. Sin is deceitful. Our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked, Jeremiah said. Who can even know it? We can't even know how bad we are. We think we are good, but I'll tell you what, we're not. Pride. Pride enters in. Three things that Achan had is the saw, desire, and took. The lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Those things enter in and they, they, we allow them. We're, we, we allow them. We're guilty. And unless we acknowledge our sins, unless we acknowledge that we are, you're bound. I'm bound to fail. I'm bound to fall. Check that place of worship where that your affections are. But on the other side, for them, this was a time of renewal and hope. This is where we are right now. This is a time of renewal and hope. They had a vision of the good that could take place. And they had a mind to put their hands to the work. They had a mind to do what God had called them. I'll tell you, without, without hope and vision, we will fall. Period. Now back in verse 10, these two guys, Sanballat and Tobiah, uh, we saw that they got real upset about the news that they were coming alongside and these letters were in support of the children of Israel. I want to tell you that Satan's a lot like that. If he can get you in one way and he can't get you that way, he'll try another way. He's not, he's not, uh, you know, we're not to be ignorant of his devices. We're not to go out after him, but we're not to be ignorant of what he does and how he does it. And verse 19 then, but when Sanballat the Horonite, uh, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem, this guy was added to the list here, the Arab heard of it. They laughed at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebuild against the king? You know, sounds like the hiss of Satan right there, doesn't it? I want you to notice how the attack comes. First by intimidation. Then by mockery and scorn. Okay? If the enemy, if our enemy can't intimidate us, He'll use mockery and scorn. He'll try to make you feel bad for what you're doing. You want to lead others to Christ? Look at yourself. Your life's a mess. You ever had that guilt? I mean, you ever had feeling like that? You can't. That's the enemy. That's the hiss of the snake. And like Sanballat and Tobiah, he whispers in our ears, What do you think you're doing? You don't have the right. You don't have the authority. 
You know what I'm going to tell you? That God has given us all right and authority to call in Jesus' name and speak on his behalf to lead people to him. And these guys are challenging. They won't listen to you. Many times if you step out in a work for God, the enemy is right there to mock and scorn the work that he wants you to do. Especially if it's concerning holiness and purity. Do you know we look in the world today and that's not there. Holiness and purity, that's mocking and scorning for every aspect. So they said to him, will you rebel against the king? You know what, when I heard that and I read that again, it sounds like Satan in the garden. Did God really say? See, the enemy will challenge the authority of the king. Will you rebel against the king? King gave him okay. He gave him a letter. Will you rebel? So he's twisting it. Can you see how he's twisting it? And that's exactly what the enemy does when it comes to the truth and the foundation of truth. He twists it until it sounds like he's the one has the authority. In Romans, it says, and they believe the lie. That's the twist, isn't it? That's what happens. Believing the lie and the hiss. And what happens when we believe the lie? We're, we're given over the things God says, you know, where you want to go that way, then that's the way you're going to go. And so verse 20 said, so I answered them and said to them, and I love, love, love his response. So I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. I love that. Buddy, you lost out, man. I want you to notice during the attack where Nehemiah's eyes are fixed. They're fixed on the Lord. They're fixed on God. When the enemy attacks, fix your eyes on the author and the finisher of your faith. When the enemy attacks, don't look around. Don't look at anything else. Look at Jesus. Keep your eyes on him. He says, God himself will prosper us. In other words, if God be for us, who can be against us? You know, you talk about, well, it's not in the Old Testament. Yes, it is. There it is right there. We'll complete the work that God has called us to do. He is with us. Also notice that Nehemiah didn't listen to what his attackers said. He didn't, he didn't even take it into consideration. And that's good advice when the enemy comes at us. Don't listen to him. Paul said this, 2 Timothy 3.14. But you must continue in the things which you have learned. If you've learned the truth, walk in the truth. If you've got a good foundation, don't get off that foundation. No matter if there's an earthquake, don't get off of it. From whom you have learned and been assured of, you've got to be assured, and that's your part, Going in there and making sure that this is in the word of God and what has been said is in the word of God. Knowing from whom you have learned, listen to them, watch them, make sure that they're lining up with what they have said. Nehemiah had heard from God and the king. So he's got support from heaven and he's got support on earth to do this thing. Paul says, stand fast in the liberty where Christ has made you free. 
Don't take upon you the yoke of bondage again. Stand in the liberty. Then he also tells us in 1 Corinthians 2.13, These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. That means wherever it is, match it up with the Word of God. That's how come you find whenever I'm talking to you, I'll say to you, Zayden, where is that in the Scripture? (laughs) (laughs) That's why, and and you know, I challenge you to do that with one another. Put each other on notice that, hey, where is that in Scripture? Because if we can do that with each other, we can be the Bible answer man right here in our own fellowship, you know. It will help us. Spiritual things with spiritual. You say it's spiritual, where is it in the Bible? You say it's spiritual, where is it in the Bible? Now, chapter 3, we're not going to get into that. I just want to go over it, and uh, if you want to read it, but it just records the rebuilding process if you want to read it. Go ahead, take it on. We're going we're gonna to not go into verse or chapter 3 next time. But there's one verse in chapter 3 that I find very interesting and is Nehemiah 3.12. And next to him was Shalom, the son of Halohesh, leader of the half the district of Jerusalem. He and his daughters made repairs. Isn't that cool? He and his daughters made repairs. You always think it's the guys. But you know what? Shalom didn't have any sons. It doesn't record any sons. I'll tell you what, he had some tough daughters, though. Can you imagine seeing these, uh, these you know, Jewish women aren't that big, but these little gals are tough. Some of those blocks, they're as big as this stage that they put in place over there. So you got to say something for them. So as you, you go through chapter 3, and I, I admonish you to read it, You're going to find out how the different portions of the wall and why they were rebuilt and the groups that they were involved in rebuilding and the rebuilding process. The priests would take one side and they would work on it. The nobles went to another side. Different families worked on other sections. But they didn't focus on on, uh, just one place. Like, okay, everybody work on this part of the wall. They each had a section of the wall. And guess what happened? The The wall went up all at the same time time it just like they were here they were here they were here and they just went and the walls went up and the gates went up and they did that so it went up the same time so but as you look at today as you look at the wall uh, most of the wall left standing today are what you see are parts of the reconstruction of Nehemiah but we know that other parts were demolished by Titus when he came in in AD 70 and uh, wrecked the place but much of the wall that you see today like you see the eastern gate and the eastern wall that was all rebuilt by Nehemiah and his group and uh, also the western side and the the, uh, priest steps and different areas those areas that are still standing the wailing wall those were all rebuilt by Nehemiah isn't that cool that we can see that today we can see the Efforts in that, how long ago was that? Well, we know that it's over 2,000 years, 2,000, maybe five, you know, 2,500, maybe something like that. I don't know for sure, but I think it's neat because God has a heritage for us. So tonight, let's just, let's focus on where our hearts are. Let's seek the Lord and uh, seek him while he may be found. Allow him to speak to us. And Lord, we just come and take this evening and surrender it over to you. We ask that, Lord, that you would just 
speak to us, Lord. If there's areas in our hearts, that God, that you would give us a word, your good word. Like Nehemiah said, your good hand was upon me. I pray that your good hand would be upon us tonight as, Lord, as we come to hear from you. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the healing that comes from it. In Jesus' name. So if the Lord works and speaks, allow him to speak. Uh, be used by the Lord. Uh, you have a prayer. That's great. Say a prayer. If you have a word, speak that word. If you have a scripture, uh, you can have the lights up just a hair, just so that maybe they are there. That's perfect right there. If you have a scripture that you is on your heart and you can find it, go ahead. Let's, let's allow the Lord to, to, to speak to us through his uh, servants tonight. In this church, Lord, be glorified, be glorified. In this church, Lord, be glorified today. The Lord says, a broken and contrite heart, I will no wise turn away. When your heart is overwhelmed, the Lord says, come to the rock that's higher than you. Come to me, the Lord would say to our hearts, when worship seems to evade you, come to me, and I will touch your heart and you will live again. I am your strength. I am your life. There is no God besides me. And there is no Savior besides me. I am the one, the Lord says, that will lift you up and encourage you and give you strength for what you do not have, I have. And I've come to give it to you abundantly. Just surrender and let me, let me in. Behold, as my word says, that I stand at your door and I knock. And Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to open that door. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Father, for singing. Lord, thank you for singing in with us tonight. Thank you for inhabiting the praise, Lord, of worship. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the revelation of your word, illumination of your word, and understanding to our hearts. And Lord, I pray tonight that you would take and I pray you would relieve burdens now, Lord God. Take the yoke from them, Father God. The worry, the stress, and the fear. Lord, take the yoke. And Lord, I pray that you would replace it with your joy and life and peace now, Lord God. And I pray that for all of us, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's all stand and let's sing together, okay? Now, I think you guys should have it by now, huh? Yeah. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee 
and be gracious unto thee, the Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Amen. And I say shalom and you say Shabbat Shalom. Shalom, Shalom. God bless you all. Peace and peace to you. Yes. Friday Shabbat. Yeah. Well, Shabbat Shalom. <laughs> all right. Uh, I'm trying to get a little bit of Hebrew into us, so a little bit more of Hebrew. Correct pronunciation of Jerusalem is what? Yerushalayim. Okay, there you go. That's your lesson for tonight. God bless. <laughs>